Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Nicole Singer. We recorded this via Skype two weeks ago, and I recorded my musical parts afterwards. I want to thank Get Up in the Cool's newest Patreon supporter, Grace, last name withheld. Thank you so much. If anyone else wants to support the show, you can sign up at patreon.com slash getupinthecool, which is linked in the show notes. Stick around afterwards, and I'll tell you how to keep up with this week's guest. But first, here's my interview and jam with Nicole Singer. Enjoy. Gonna pick up some of these empties here just as soon as we know where they lay. Tie off for them jolly and leaving lines on a long hot summer day. Every day you work out on the Illinois River, get a half a day off with pay. On a towboat making up barges on a long hot summer day i got me a gal in peking she's a good old gal okay and i'll bet she's sitting at a window fan on a long hot summer day every day you work out on the hill and all you ever get a half a day off with pay on a towboat making up barges on a long hot summer day Last night we had pork for supper. Today it'll be chicken consomme and a fruit jar full of iced tea on a long hot summer day. Every day you work out on the Illinois River, get a half a day off with pay on a towboat making up barges on a long hot summer day. Every day you work out on the Illinois River, get a half a day off with pay on a towboat making up barges on a long hot summer day. Yes. <laughs> Nicole Singer, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah, what what was that song? Um, so that's a John Hartford tune. That's Long Hot Summer Days. Um, and I, I learned it um, from the playing of Sarah Watkins, who played it at the Clearwater Great Hudson Rival- Revival Festival, um, hmm. which is a great festival that has only been on and off the last few years. Uh, but when I... A bunch of years ago, I was I was sailing. Once upon a time, I was a deckhand aboard a schooner um, that was docked at the festival because we partner with Clearwater to run um, the educational program on the same, like on mm. both boats. Um, and and me and the rest of the crew were out enjoying the music, and we heard Sarah Watkins play that, and that became the song of the summer. Uh, that was the mm. song that we couldn't get enough of, and we're singing day in day out for weeks afterwards. Um, and yeah, that's that's that. <laughs> was that your first time being a deckhand on a schooner, or is yeah, this, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah? Maybe maybe I ought to take a couple steps back. Um, yes. Right. So this is a very in media <laughs> res. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you just landed like a little snapshot of my life. So um, yeah, I was a deckhand aboard a schooner for. Um, for you know, the better part of a year, I guess. Uh, in most of my life, I'm an elementary art teacher, uh, and that's been sort of my life's dream for most of my life. Like since I was a child, I wanted to be an art teacher. Um, mm. But when I was in college, I um, I did a maritime studies program. I went to the um, the Williams College Mystic Seaport 
maritime studies program, which is a semester long. Mm. It's it's functions sort of like study abroad, except that it's study at Mystic Seaport, and they mm-hmm. send you out sailing in various places. Um, so this job wasn't my first time sailing, um, but that program definitely uh, that program was really formative for me. Um, I had. I had grown up um, around music and especially around musical theater a bunch. And I started playing guitar when I was 13 and, you know, was very like musically inclined. But that was where I really kind of got bitten by the boat bug and got into the maritime music scene. Um, that plus the uh, the the folk sing club at Swarthmore College, where I went to college, um, uh, both of those sort of made me get really super into into that stuff quite quickly um and at that at that program the williams mystic program there were you know there were classes in all kinds of um maritime academic things like maritime literature and marine history marine policy um marine sciences and then they also had maritime skills classes and sea Mm. shanties was one of them um another one was blacksmithing which i also snuck my way into um and, and it was yeah. c- singing sea shanties was seen as like a skill that you would like yes uh, on the same level as like blacksmithing. I mean, it is. It is yeah. a skill. It's a very. I mean, when you hear shanty singers talk about shanties, like they're tools. They function as tools. Um, these are Great. things that happen during work to make the work go better. Yes. Right. Like it's a. It's um. It might not be a physical tool, but it's certainly a motivational tool, and sometimes it's a coordinating tool, right? If you're all trying to do a physical task at the same time, it doesn't make sense if you're all going to pull at different moments. You have to pull at the same time, so you Mm. sing in rhythm and do your work in rhythm, and then the job actually happens. Um, So, yeah, yeah, so, like, it is quite a skill, and um, and shannying, uh, the kind of singing required to shanny... uh, especially when you're actually out on the water, is definitely a specific kind of vocal skill, um, mostly about volume, really. Sure. Um, and uh, and my, one of my shanty teachers, Don Sinetti, said, you know, in shanty singing, vocal quality is not nearly as important as enthusiasm, uh, which sure. is true. <laughs> um, and you really need that volume and that enthusiasm to make the shanty work as an effective tool um, for getting the job done, which is what it is. Um, so I got into the maritime music world through Don and through Mark Bernier, who also taught um, in the Shanty class. Uh, and I started going to the Sea Music Festival. And when I graduated college, I had a great college experience, but I really needed to get away from academia. I was kind of sick mm. of the ivory tower. Um, and I also really loved boats. And I wound up volunteering for Clearwater. Uh, Clearwater is a great organization on the Hudson River that does environmental activism and education. Um, and I had gone on one of their like uh, environmental education field trips as a child, um, mm. actually aboard the Mystic Whaler, because uh, the Mystic Whaler and Clearwater, you know, for many years uh, ran the same program on both boats. Um, and then here I was volunteering now as an adult, volunteering for Clearwater, placed on the whaler. Um, had a great time teaching there, and they said, how about you come back for the Chesapeake Bay Schooner Race in the fall? And then they said, how about you come back? We, you know, we want to hire you. And, um, and so then I wound up after college. I spent a week at home and then got on a boat and did something that had nothing to do with my college degree, uh, and I loved it. Um, I had a great time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Um, you know, and then I came ashore for the winter, applied to grad school, 
and then got back on the boat before I started grad school. Um, and now I'm living a very landlocked life now. But, um, but yeah, uh, I think spending that time working aboard a vessel, like a working traditional vessel, um, you know, really like folding all of that kind of work together with everything I learned about shanties and sea music um, and really being immersed in that was a hugely formative experience for how I do music and sea music specifically. Um, And so this, so that song, you know, we were at the Clearwater Festival docked there when we heard that. And the kind of camaraderie that happens when you're living in a very small space with a very small number of people um, this might be relatable in our current context, yes. right? That like, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, you know, sometimes the whole bunch of you hear a song or something happens that really resonates with everyone and everyone's on board with, yes, this is, this is the thing that is our experience right now. Um, and that song was that for us mm. for a summer. That's lovely. Uh, I really... <laughs> I really love the idea of like music at, blurring the line for music between like art and craft um, and like whether it's like useful or not um, because it took me so long to in my music education to get to music that actually did something as opposed to just uh, a thing you were supposed to have lofty thoughts about <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, I, I love I love that you got to go on a boat and do music that was uh, actually actually useful for a specific a specific function. And I wish more people understood music as a, a, a functional thing as opposed to just some sort of whimsical thing. Yeah, um, I mean, like to be clear, sailing today is quite different, um, you know, me- mechanically as well as culturally quite different sure. um, than, you know, than what it was when people were quite actively using shanties as work songs, um, you know, like all across a country's fleet, right? Um, yes. And the kind of the so the Mystic Whaler is a hundred and ten foot. Um, gaff rigged schooner um w- which you can shanty with right but compared to like the gigantic square riggers and these like huge packet ships um the jobs are actually quite short and quite small um and so the you know the kinds of um boats that people uh that people think of when they think of sea shanties are often of like quite a different scale and quite a different set of jobs mm. than the mystic whaler has um that said there's a lot of transferable skill and transferable uh like the kinds of things you would sing on one vessel you could adapt to sing on another um but i like i want to be clear that like using using shanties as a tool today looks very different than what it looked like or would have looked like um in in sailing when you know sailing was really at its height can you give me an example of a job that one would do and then a song that one would use in order to get that job done and on what kind of boat, et cetera. Because I'm just so ignorant <laughs> of like, like you're even using like this terminology of like uh, shantying like, as a verb and like, yeah, like, you know, how would one shanty to like on this boat? And I'm like, you're, this is just a, a world that I'm totally, <laughs> you, you have to like, give me the like real, uh, don't assume I know anything. <laughs> Because I don't. Sure. Yeah. Um, right. So, uh, 
So different shanties will have different rhythms based on the job. Um, okay. So, for example, in a, a capstan shanty, um, the capstan is, it kind of looks like a gigantic spool with spokes. Um, and you put, like, the anchor chain around, and that's how you pull up the anchor. You might have mm. seen, like, in movies and stuff, you know, people, like, pushing these bars around, walking in a circle. Yes. Um, and shanties that have, like, a marching rhythm are really great for that. Um, and same with um, working a windlass or pumps where you have this what looks like a giant seesaw and you're you've got two teams of people on either side um, moving them back and forth. And so you have these very rhythmic, almost like walking rhythms kind mm. of. And so you get um, you get songs like uh, Patty on the Railway or um, Johnny Come Down to High Low, um, which have uh, these kind of like speedy walking rhythms, right? Um, where you're saying th- th- something like, um, Johnny, come down to high low, poor old man. Go wake her, shake her, wake that gal with the blue dress on. Like, it's it's this very walking rhythm. Um, Patty on the Railway, similar story. Um, 1861, I put my corduroy britches on. I put my corduroy britches on to work upon the railway. Um, you know, these... these these driving rhythmic things that also have long stories sometimes attached to mm. them, or sometimes there will be floating verses where you can easily adapt it for, you know, however, however long or short your job is. Um, mm. uh, so, but those things would be very different, for instance, from like, uh, like fishing shanties. So, um, so for example, there's, um, there's a whole subset of shantying tradition um, that comes from the northern neck region of Virginia, um, where uh, before mechanization, Menhaden were fished with huge purse seine nets. Um, and Menhaden are like a small oily fish uh, that that are mostly used in like cosmetics and manufacturing. Like they're not something that we eat so much. Um, but before mechanization, you would... Uh, fish these with two teams of people in two different boats that would drop a net into the water and kind of cinch up the bottom and pull Mm. up this net by hand very slowly. And this net is full of, you know, a really heavy quantity of fish. Um, And it doesn't make sense to have a walking rhythm there because you can't sustain that. Um, You have Mm. to have long, slow pulls um, where you all sort of gather your strength and then make one giant pull together and then yeah. wait and gather your strength again and get your hands in the right place and pull forward. Mm. Um, the, um, there's a fantastic group uh, of men um, called the Northern Neck Shanty Singers um, who sing these songs that have come up to the Sea Music Festival in Mystic a few times, which, by the way, if anybody really wants to geek out about this stuff, come to the Sea Music Festival. It's a wonderful time. Um, uh, they are a group of... Uh, older black men who are retired um, fishermen um, and a lot of their songs have have overlap in um, spirituals and gospel um, and then and then some of those songs you'll also find verses from those in other work song traditions too like not just um, Menhaden but uh, but those songs have a much slower rhythm um, so something like uh, like every mail day um, where the rhythm it it kind of is um every male day male day i get a letter every male day 
Like there's a lot of space between. Yeah. Um, and and part of it also uh, for them in in their you know in their social group as they um, you know as they work and and they'll they'll perform this as well uh, like while they're singing is that there's a lot of banter back and forth and um, mm. sort of like chatting between the verses and and often poking fun at each other, uh, which is yeah. which is quite great. Um, but it's a it's a completely different job and so these are both shannies. Uh, or these are two different kinds of shanties used for two very different kinds of work. And so the rhythm winds up being quite different. Amazing. That's so great. Uh, well, I have a lot more questions to ask <laughs> you, but I think maybe you should sing another song first. Well, maybe maybe I'll sing one more thing that's kind of from my um, maritime background, uh, and then we can change gears to other stuff, because I also sing okay, a bunch great. of other things and do Wonderful. a bunch of other stuff yeah. in the trad music world. Um, so this song, uh, this song is called When I Get to the Other Side. I learned this song from one of my shipmates. Um, this shipmate had spent a large amount of time um, riding across the country by freight train. Um, and she learned uh, this song and a whole bunch of others from people she met in the freight yards, uh, and including a band um, of people who were also traveling by freight train, and one of whom wrote this or arranged this, but felt very adamant that um, that he not be given credit because he really mm. wanted it to be a folk song. Um, right. And that was a really interesting, <laughs> like, like, right, like, what does it mean for something to be a folk song? What does it mean for something to be traditional? And there was this interesting, like, very deliberate relinquishing of credit. Um, like cutting out the middleman a little bit. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, which was like a fascinating choice on his part. So I've still sure. never learned um, learned anything but his pronouns, uh, you know, really. And uh, I think I think that band eventually maybe like was was in Detroit at some point, but I tried to contact them. Uh, but then my emails started getting bounced back, you know, because when I was doing this record, I, yeah. you know, trying to do all my homework for copyrights and making sure that I pay people for, yeah. you know, the... Are you um, sure he didn't just change his mind? And he's like, actually, I want as many residuals as possible. <laughs> I mean, I have many records of me doing my due diligence. And if he's listening yeah. to this now, like, please reach out to me. I tried. I tried to pay you. Um, oh, God. I really did. Um but this this shipmate, you know, she had learned this in the freight yards, um, and then brought it to the boat and and added some verses and um, and I kind of played with the timing so that it has a call response part. And since you and I are doing this on Skype, I might I might actually like leave space so that you can do the call response part. Wonderful. But it's gonna I was going to ask what first. should I do? <laughs> yeah. Great. When I get to the other side, when I get to the other side, I ain't gonna work no more. I ain't gonna work no more. Work so hard when I'm on this side. Work so hard when I'm on this side. Legs are tired and my back is sore. Legs are tired and my back is sore. Amen. When I get to the other side, I ain't gonna sail no more. I ain't gonna sail no 
when I'm on this side Never get where I'm sailing for Never get where I'm sailing for Amen 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 When I get to the other side When I'm on this side, lungs are black and my throat is sore. Lungs are black and my throat is sore. Amen. 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 And when I get to the other side. I ain't gonna drink no more I ain't gonna drink no more I drink so much when I'm on this side Drink so much when I'm on this side Forget what I started drinking for Forget what I started drinking for Amen 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 And when I get to the other side I ain't gonna pray no more I ain't gonna pray no more Pray so hard when I'm on this side Never get what I'm asking for Never get what I'm asking for Amen Get to the other side. I ain't gonna work no more. I ain't gonna work no more. Cause I work so hard when I'm on this side. Cause I work so hard when I'm on this side. My legs are tired and my back is sore. Amen. That's beautiful. That's great. Thanks. So does the call and response work? This is just like me <laughs> me making sure I sing it right. Is it is it like Sure, yeah. When I get to the other side, when I get to When the I other get to the Yep. Okay, great. Precisely cool. that. Yep, and then exactly, do we sing yeah. Amen at the same time? Uh yeah, that's the idea. Okay, great. Yep. And interestingly, so that that Amen chorus um shows up elsewhere in musicdom. Um my my father recognized it when I when I sang this song for him. He says, "Oh yeah, that's that song Amen by the Impressions from Lily of the Fields, um which is a, mm. a movie that came out in uh 1963 or 4, I think." Um and he was like, "Oh yeah, like it's, you know, it's it's this." Um and and I was like, "Oh, oh, hey, neat. Okay, like there's some 
there's some like there's some uh, piece of the credits that got lost in the changing of hands from yes. you know from in as this song made its way to me, um, but like oh like now like this is now sort of an interesting collage of several things and yeah. you know of course now we also think uh, very differently about how we do um, you know musical borrowing in that way and giving credit where it's due and cultural appropriation and what do we do about that um and uh you know which is like a whole nother situation but uh you know a bunch of years ago when i was learning this song like that obviously was not the first thing on everyone's minds but um yeah but yeah so so that um but of course that like that issue is pretty huge in the traditional music world like not just singing obviously you know i'll I'll die on the hill that, you know, <laughs> that melodies have inherent, you know, value and that they have inherent meaning. Um, they do. They sure do. But words will always have that extra level of, uh, of, um, of weight for, for more people, I, I, I feel. And maybe that requires yeah. some more work to be done. Yeah, so there's I think there's actually two big things going on here, right? Um, one is in the lyrics of the songs themselves, um, yes. and uh, and the fact that huge amounts of traditional music and especially shanties um, have some really racist lyrics, some really sexist lyrics. There's a lot of like slurs involved. Um, there's a lot of sexual assault involved. Um, you know, so there's so there's the lyrics of the songs themselves, right? And that's. Yes. That's one thing that my my musical community is grappling with right now and trying to figure out, you know, how, like, how can we make sure that those words remain in the archives, right? And either, sure. you know, and either we, you know, we alter them such that a song is still usable in some way, or maybe we leave a song entirely in the archives if, if a song is, is, you know, carrying that quantity of harm with it which is in my opinion true of several songs there are several songs that i would not be sad if they stayed in the archives forever um uh, and didn't you know find their way into you know the song circle floor um so so there's the issue of lyrics and songs but then also there's um the issue of the traditional singing community at least where i am the sort of scene that i run in is very very white and uh black music is you know, wonderful and very popular in this very white community. And, yes. and that's an uncomfortable thing that yes. we, that many of us did not know to be uncomfortable about um, until a few years ago um, or, you know, uh, and as people are thinking about this more, um, we're sort of starting to call into question like, Oh, you know, what it, what does it mean when a group of white people are singing this music. I mean, the like the Manhattan material, right? Manhattan sea shanties are um, are totally wonderful. The Northern Neck shanty singers um, come and you know they teach workshops up here um, at the Sea Music Festival, and um, and they're very specifically uh, uh, generous, I guess, with their music. Um, you know, I got hmm. I, I got to ask them once. You know, how do you feel about white people singing these songs yeah. um, and they said we think that's you know we think that's great you know we're here because we want the songs to continue we want you to learn yeah. them great um, and of course you know that's of course you know you can't take the opinion of one black person or one group of black people and say like aha like the one you know the one black group says it's okay therefore I can sing the things no like that's not obviously that's not how it works um, but it was interesting to hear 
their take on that when meanwhile like these songs are also becoming a part of our um nor like they're sort of part of the body of songs that get sung in song circles up here sometimes in ways that don't give credit to where these songs come from or who Hmm. we learned them from um and i think it's really important that we know that history that we you know share like, oh, you know, here's where this song comes from, especially when it's from um, a marginalized group, um, so that everyone is getting the credit where it's due. Um, and there's there are some songs also that uh, that kind of squick me out when white people sing them. Mm. It, like, anyway. <laughs> like, um, do you have an example? that Maybe um, not one that I would recognize, but... Uh, yeah, that, well, there's a... There's a rather problematic shanty called Alabama John Cherokee, um, okay. which off to a great uh, start. <laughs> like you can tell by the title that like we're off to a rough start. Yeah. Um, and that I remember a bunch of years ago watching someone sing, watching a, an older white guy sing this at the Sea Music Festival um, in this like intense caricature of dialect. Um, okay. And it kind of made my skin crawl um, because. I mean, for a huge number of reasons, including the lyrics of the song and the way he was performing it. And, um, and you know, you, you like, in an effort towards giving credit where some things do, like, you don't, like, we need to find ways to give credit where things are, where it's due, um, without, like, trying to perform authenticity that isn't ours, right? Because that, yeah. that gets into, like, <laughs> you know blackface performance and that's that's not where we want to go um and so we're we're i think we as a as a traditional singing community are are kind of trying to figure out you know what do we do you know what do we do (laughs) um (laughs) and uh and and you know people are also uh kind of wondering you know we're a very white community you know if you go to the sea music festival it's a it's a vast sea of radioactive white and, and, (laughs) and mostly it's, it's, you know, it's almost entirely white people. Um, it's almost entirely older white people as well. People Mm -hmm. in the generations above me who I'm sure are very excited to be censored and policed with Uh, things they're allowed to say. Overjoyed. Um, you know, well, I mean, there's, there's also a piece in which policing each other goes in both directions, too. And, that, sure. and that's, that's another conversation on ageism, which I also geek yeah. out about. <laughs> hey. Um, but, uh, you know, there's this question of, okay, you know, here's a bunch of older white people singing this music where um, the black folks who are teaching it, these, this particular group of black folks are quite, you know, welcoming about that. Um, but how, how do we carry this you know, how do, how do we operate with that? How, sure. how do? <laughs> um, and, mm-hmm. uh, and then also, you know, there's always an effort, I think, when, when white people in a community notice this, they say, ah, like, we're very white. Like, how do we, we know that diversity is good. How do we make our event more diverse? Yeah. Right. And then there's a specific effort often to, you know, hire artists of color um, and have, uh, you know, speakers of color on various panels and symposia, which is totally great. And I believe in the importance of all of that. Right. But if you're also talking about who are your attendees, you know, if you're wanting to draw a diverse audience, that's, that's something where, um, where you have to do a very different kind of work. And that's something yes. that um, the traditional singing, you know, my part of the traditional singing world um, is really starting to think about that 
like very actively uh, in some very specific ways. And I like to think that some of the organizations that I'm involved with are, are kind of on the, the, um, the trailblazing good side of that. Um, yes. Which is great. Uh, but yeah, but there are definitely lots of, um, there's, there's a lot of work to be done in that realm in traditional singing. Yeah. Uh, an idea that I've been, that I was introduced to recently, it was actually, I think it was a rapper on a recent, a guest rapper on a recent Eminem album. Um, it's Royce da five, nine who is black, uh, is talking just very prosaically, but, uh, in in the in the verse about the difference between uh, separation and segregation, and you know basically just that like segregation is to him is just when someone else is telling him where he should be and who he's allowed to be with, and separation is um, making decisions to separate uh, out of a place of agency. And I think the mm. difference it is often really confusing to people, especially people who are trying to foster community. Um, but it's like when you're in your position where you look around and you're like, okay, this is pretty white. What do I need to do in order to make it inviting if uh, non-white people would hypothetically be interested at some point? <laughs> you know, um, but you can't like you can't just make your space diverse because you can't make non-white people do things, obviously, you know? Right. And, yeah. and, you know, when we're, when we're thinking about, I mean, it's true. You can't make people of color do things. Right. Yeah. And also we don't want, we don't want to get into tokenization, right? Like yeah. we don't want yeah. to, um, to have someone be there and then be able to take the photo of a, a very, you know, wide range of colors in the audience and say, yes. poof, we are diverse. Right. Yeah. Um, you did it. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. <laughs> like, you know, stamp of Points. approval, not so much. Um, right. So, so the question becomes, you know, how do we, how do we actually make our event a space that is, uh, you know, an event or a community, um, a space that is, uh, you know, safe, encouraging, welcoming, um, and like actively safe and celebratory of um, yeah. people of color in, in a way that's like, actually authentic and you know like meaningful and not just a nod to like tokenization or or and not just um sort of doing this because you know we we uh because this is part of our goals for diversity right it's not that it's part yes. of our goals to make our event more diverse right it's that we want our event to be anti-racist right yes and, and, yes. An, and an event being <laughs> yeah and an event being actively anti-racist um, you know, like that's, that's the work, um, that groups of white people need to do. Um, and that work is worth doing no matter who then winds up coming to your festival. Right. Yes. Um, it's important. And I think about this a lot in my teaching as well. I'm an elementary art teacher in a public school here in Western Massachusetts. Um, and I think about, you know, like very privileged schools, for instance, um, very privileged schools uh, where, you know, all the kids might be like super wealthy and super white. Um, even kids in those schools need 
rad anti-racist teachers because they need to yes. understand how those systems work in our society, particularly because they're you know positioned to be in power, and then they might yes. have a unique position to dismantle a lot of that stuff, which would be great. Um, you know, and also of course the kids of color also need rad anti-racist teachers, right? Everybody needs it, and so at an event that is mostly white people, that event all needs to be anti-racist because it needs to be anti-racist, um, like just as is, right? Not it. Not because it we need more people of color there. Like it's not about it's not about the tally marks, right? Absolutely. It's about this is important as like just as a thing that we need to be doing. Yeah. What, once white people can accept that um, that racism is also harmful to people who have been racialized white, um, then. W- we're going to be really excited about tearing it apart um, and dismantling whiteness. Yeah. <laughs> like, but it's it's a hard sell to to make you you know make white people yeah. realize that. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's deeply uncomfortable, uh, totally. Um, but you know, like doing that kind of work is, um, I mean, that's some of the most important work there is, right? And. Yes. And it's events like that, you know, that's that's where we're going to have a start actually having, you know, powerful, uh, you know, richly diverse communities of people who get it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like that's that's where that result is going to come from is from yeah. like actively delving into that work, um, you know, with with the, with an eye towards like the work is important as its own yeah. thing. Yes. Will you sing another song? And I, I think you said you wanted to do a non-maritime related song. Is yeah, that still true? Yeah, I mean, I, I did, so I, yeah, totally. I mean, I, so I definitely like came into the traditional singing scene kind of through the maritime world, but mm. now I sing lots of other stuff too. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, I'll sing, um, I will sing something else. Uh, do uh, so I'll sing, <laughs> I'll sing The Wayworn Traveler. Mm. Um, this song is kind of relentlessly peppy. Um, this is a song that, uh, that I've never actually heard a recording of, although I know there's lots of them out there. Um, this is, a, I think I first learned this from the singing of Judy Cook, um, who's a really fabulous singer, researcher, storyteller. Um, she lives in Ohio. Um, and uh, and I was enchanted, and I love this song very much. Mm. And, um, and uh, yeah, it's got a lot of verses. I might, I might drop one just to preserve my voice a little more, because I've been talking for an hour straight. But, um, okay, great. But, yeah. I saw the wayworn traveler in tattered garments clad in struggling up the mountain it seemed that he was sad his pack was heavy laden his race was almost run but he shouted as he journeyed deliverance will come and palms of victory crowns of glory Palms of victory I shall wear. The summer sun was shining, the sweat was on his brow, his garments torn and dusty, his steps were very slow. 
But he kept pressing onward, for he was wending home, still shouting as he traveled, deliverance will come and palms of victory, crowns of glory, palms of victory I shall wear. The songsters in the arbor that stood along the way attracted his attention, inviting his delay. His watchword being onward, he stopped his ears and ran, and he shouted as he traveled, deliverance will come, and palms of victory, crowns of glory, palms of victory I shall wear. I saw him in the evening, the sun was bending low, he'd overtop the mountain and reached the vale below. He saw that holy city, his everlasting home, and he shouted hallelujah, deliverance will come, and palms of victory, crowns of glory, palms of victory. I shall wear. While gazing on that city, across the narrow flood, a band of holy angels came from the throne of God. They bore him on their pinions across the narrow flood, and they joined him in his triumph. Deliverance had come, and palms of victory, crowns of glory, Palms of victory I shall wear. I heard that song of triumph upon the other shore, saying, Jesus has redeemed us to suffer nevermore. And casting his eyes backward on the race that he had run, he shouted loud, Hosanna, deliverance had come. And palms of victory Crowns of glory, palms of victory, I shall wear. Wow, that took a real like mythic turn at the end. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a pretty intense story. Oh shit, um, there's angels. <laughs> what? <laughs> I mean, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um it looks it looks like I did have the like vocal bandwidth to make that happen in its entirety. Right? Oh, great. Um yeah. Um and actually, I take it back. I realize I have heard a recording of this. Um, so I learned this from Judy singing, um, but Helen Schneer recorded this. Um, Helen Schneer, um, who um, passed away some years ago, uh, but she sang many, many wonderful things, um, including this and, uh, and her singing and, and the singing of her daughter, also Ricky Schneer, um, have both been um, quite influential for me as well. Um, and I, uh, like, like both Helen and Ricky Schneer, actually, I'm, I am of Jewish heritage and a kind of a reverent human. I don't, I don't really do faith all that much. Um, uh, songs like this, though, um, I'm so excited about them. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I find that that kind of thing happens quite a lot. And, and a lot of us, um, a lot of singers I know, uh, kind of try to figure out, you know, where, where's my place in that too, of like, you know, what's, 
what's my own faith situation? Mm. What songs am I singing? You know, for some people, they're really squicked out by si- by singing songs yeah. about Jesus and gloom and doom. When, and the blood. When that's not a... Th- <laughs> yeah, I mean... The blood. I mean, if you've heard shape note music, it's like I quite have. intense. Yeah. <laughs> it's super yep. gory. Um, yeah, definitely. And and I really love some gloom and doomy, terrifying Jesus music. I love that. Mm. Um, <laughs> even though I'm not a person of faith myself. Um and yeah, I like I have some questions about, you know, singing across faiths is like yes, a very absolutely. different situation than singing across other kinds of identity contexts, right? Um, but yeah, so like that's that's something that I'm that's sort of still evolving part of my thinking as well. I think um, you know, I, I can't pretend to have all the answers about, you know, what do we do about that kind of thing, whether it's whether it's race or uh, faith or anything else um, that we're singing about. I, I think I have a stronger sense of what to do in the anti-racism department than I do about uh, singing across faiths. Um, yeah. But uh, but I'm, I'm definitely still on like kind of a journey with that and getting my head around it. Um, yeah, that's really tricky. Someone um, who listens to the show who might be listening to this right now, uh, he... <laughs> He reached out to me last year when he saw a video of Jake Blunt and I on tour, and I did a, a, a religious Olabel Reed song. And um, my before I sang the song, I said that I was raised religious, but I'm no longer religious, and that you know I was basically mm-hmm. like, this is the way that I engage with this song and what this song means to me, even if I don't believe in um, the the mythology around it in the in the way that many um, that that many like Christian Americans uh, specifically like have a literal belief of, um, and and a non mythological belief of, um, and he he like reached out to me and he was like, is this a form of cultural appropriation? You're like you know this mm. um, you know coastal coastal elite hipster and you know you're like singing this uh southern style like gospel song um and like are you are you is it really your place to be you know using it for (laughs) and engaging with it in some other way or like um and and i was engaging with it in a very respectful non-ironic way even then i was just like this song actually means a lot to me because it's about um how there's no room for um, people who hoard wealth in um, the kingdom of God, <laughs> you know? And, like, I feel like... Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, uh, yeah, ultimately I had to... I, I don't know. I've been thinking about that a lot ever since, you know, because I also was I raised religious, you know, and, like, I have this whole kind of culture and history around it, but I've... But I'm... I, I, it's like, do do I get to appropriate the music from the culture that I feel like appropriated a lot of my skills and gifts? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, so I think a major difference here, right, is, is what's the power dynamic here, right? Like there's a very, there's a very different power dynamic between, um, you know, like a white person appropriating black music, um, right? Like that's, that's one like hugely problematic power dynamic. Like that's why that's a bad thing is because that like, one person who already has a ton of power is like, you know, taking even more. Um, yes. And uh, whereas like, 
you know, there's some, I'm sure there are some people who will argue that like women singing sea shanties is also appropriative. Sure. Right. Right. There are some people who might argue, well, you know, that's, that's appropriative and not authentic for sure. women to be singing shanties. Yeah. Um, and, but like, that's a really different like for me yeah. to sing sing sea shanties, I have no guilt about that. Yeah, you know, because that's such a different power dynamic than me as a white person singing black. You know, like the the um, where I am, where my position is in each of those two different power dynamics is quite different. And so yes. for me, one of like the like for me to like singing singing across race lines in that way has a very different problematic power dynamic. Um, whereas me as a woman singing sea shanties, that's, that's like, that's a very different power dynamic where I am not the person in power most of the time. Um, and I'm totally, uh, happy to afflict the comfortable, right? Yeah. Great. (laughs) Um, with that, um, that's that's actually a that's a thing I get some some joy in a sure. lot of the time when you know when there's a sea shanty session it's you know I mean in the in the twelve plus years that I've been in the sea music scene um, there have been more and more um, people beyond you know the old cis white men coming into the sea music scene which has been excellent to see yeah um, but especially in those first few years I got this incredible joy out of like being you know tiny femme, tiny young femme showing up at the sea music session, um, and singing shanties Mm -hmm. and, uh, and startling people. (laughs) Um, uh, you know, my voice is also quite big. So I think the, the like big voice, tiny girl, what kind of surprise was, was big. Um, but I, but I think the, you know, the scene, that scene needed that kind of shakeup. Um, and you know, when we think about, um, source recordings for shanties or when we think about someone like Stan Hugel who who um whose book is like one of the sort of big um tomes of sea shanty collection um you know we don't we don't talk about women on boats um although you know there are stories of like a few here and there uh but when we're talking about authenticity right and what a shanty should sound like quote like heavy air quotes on sure, should sure, right sure. the question is um you know, which which parts of the tradition are you trying to preserve? Like, sure, you might not have heard voices like mine on boats in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, at this point in our musical lives, it is more important to have more voices and more different voices singing this music than it is to be attached to authenticity that's based on a, like, a very specific sort of baseline right yeah um uh especially since like let's be real the like the the sea shanty tradition uh is not contiguous right this is a revivalist tradition yes um it's not like we're not at a point where songs were passed down from sailor to sailor you know through the like tall ship world because that's not how we do boats anymore. Yes. And there was this big, there was a, uh, you know, there's a bit of a time gap between the last of the sailing vessels where shanties were actively like used um, and the rise of boats like Clearwater and the Mystic Whaler and several others. Um, uh, the, the Whaler and um, Clearwater were both built in the late 1960s um, along with, you know, like the folk music revival, right? Yes. Um, and so like now singing is rising out of a, 
it's a revivalist tradition. It's not like connected to boats. And so there's this question of, you know, when we're trying to sound historical in some Mm -hmm. way, what does that mean? Like, and what decisions do we make? Um, And, you know, to the, to the sea music community's credit, I have not heard in many years, I've not heard comments about um, lack of authenticity uh, because of a voice not being an old man's voice, right? So like, yes. that's been great. But like, <laughs> early, early on, there was definitely a little bit of like, um, hmm, like what it like, you don't sound like the recordings. Mm-hmm. What? Um, uh, and the, I mean, the, then there's this other part of, you know, well, like, I have actually worked on boats. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. Um, and I think, I think for some people that gives me a little bit of extra um, credentials, I guess, of like, yeah, like she doesn't sound like the people who Stan Hugel would have been singing with, but she's worked on the boats. Have yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, you know, it's it's still quite different, uh, like I said earlier, but it, but I think like those those are questions that we ask that like we think about all the time Mm. and i'm also grateful for you know not cis dudes older white cis dudes um uh people like the johnson girls for instance who are an all women um shanty group who kind of um made it okay for women to sing like very loud powerful shanties i mean it always was okay right but like but to get the to get the community used to that idea um yes you know like i like i don't think i would have been able to to come onto this scene in the same way that I did without them and a few other women who, who were quite influential in that way. Um, you know, also because a couple of them specifically, uh, have, have been really great, like mentors for me as well. And kind of like sat me down and were like, ah, hello, you who are interested in this thing. Let me take you to the places. Let me show you the Mm. books. Let me here, listen to these things. You'll like it. Um, and so there's been a lot of really good, like, um, mentor mentorship that happens there. Well, uh, I think we have time for maybe two more before we have to say goodbye. Um, what do you want to sing sure. next? And then after that, we'll talk about how to like get your album and how to keep up with the things you're doing or will be doing. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, uh, I'll sing. I'll sing another song from my record. Um, I'm going to sing "Nobody Knockin," which is a. Uh, which is by Zoe Mulford. Um, and I first heard it from the singing of a duo called Glass of Water, um, who are totally lovely. And I, I sort of added a refrain a little differently. And on the record, um, those of you listening along, uh, uh, if you would like to listen to it on the record, it'll sound even a little bit different because Julian uh, Stewart is flat-footing on that track. Oh, great. Um, yeah, I have, I have my... My my main sort of um, singing collaborator person is Becky Wright, uh, who's totally wonderful, also on the album in a number of places. Um, and Jillian also uh, is another like collaborative partner of mine. She's a flat footer, and she does some of that on this track, too. Um, but you won't hear it now, because I can't do that. Um, but I'll sing it anyway. He won't need his coat no more, no more. You can wear it when you're grown. Two went out together, and one come back alone, and ain't nobody knocking at the door. Two went out together, and one come back alone, ain't nobody knocking at the door. 
He won't need his boots no more, no more. Snow's falling on the track. Two went out together and only one come back. Ain't nobody knocking at the door. Two went out together and only one come back. Ain't nobody knocking at the door. He won't need his gun no more, no more. Ain't nobody need to know that two went out together and one come back alone. Ain't nobody knocking at the door. That two went out together and one come back alone. Ain't nobody knocking at the door. He won't make me cry no more, no more. I'm gonna cry and moan. We went out together. I come back alone. Ain't nobody knocking at the door. We went out together. I come back alone. And ain't nobody knocking at the door. Hmm. Beautiful. Thanks. Hmm. Well, where where do we go to, to get your album? Um, it is now on Bandcamp. Great. Um, uh, yeah, um, my website is just NicoleSinger.com, and there's a link there for music. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's pretty minimal. It's the only album there. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, I also do a whole lot of... Um, you know, I think I, t- I talked about singing a lot, but you can probably tell that I geek out a lot about how singing community works. Uh, yes. And and I, I'm an organizer. I think just as much as I'm a, sing- a singer, I'm an organizer. And I um, I do a lot of work with various festivals and events uh, here in my region um, that I would love to geek out about. Like, I could talk for hours about this <laughs> stuff with you or whoever else wants to. Um <laughs> Uh, I am the chairwoman of folk music and song programming for NEFA, um, mm, the New England right. Folk Festival Association. Um, yeah, so I do I do that. Uh, I am one of the founders and committee members of Youth Traditional Song Weekend, uh, um, yes. which has been featured, going for the last seven years. J- just featured on NPR. <laughs> yes, that's the one. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, yeah, that, that was my wild idea many years ago. Um, and then... And then a you know committee formed, and now we're keeping going, and it's great. Um, that's yeah, that's where also I met um, Ayen, um, and and so now she's on the committee, and then she invited me to be one of the moderators on Traditional Music Today yes. as well. So we have like there's a very like symbiotic uh, you know we are each doing the good work in a community leadership sort of partnership way, mm. and that feels great. Um, yeah, and I've I've. I, I think I have a lot of conversations with organizers of other events, even though I'm not like technically part of them, but I, I very much see that as part of my role in the traditional music world is to talk and think about like all the things that we just talked about. And then some, yes. um, especially around building intergenerational community. Um, I don't know if you saw on traditional music today, the, the big post on ageism that's like pinned at the top. That, um, that was really, really, really helpful, at least to me, in my posture around some of these intergenerational conflicts. Um, yeah, so great. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, uh, I, I wrote that um, in an effort to, you know, help many different kinds of 
music communities or just communities generally, even if they're not music based, um, sort of navigate that kind of thing. Uh, but it but it came out of a lot of experience um, organizing and building community across generational lines in traditional music. Um, I'm, I'm glad that you're finding it useful, and I hope lots of other people do as well. Um, but that yes. post is public, and so I, I think I think that even if you don't have a Facebook account, you can find it. Oh, yeah, um, maybe I can just like, um, I can link that in the show notes. Great. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so there's that. Um, and then Youth Tread Song is youthtreadsong.org. Um, uh, yeah, that happens every January. Um, yeah, and, and once in a while I'll do a gig or two, um, often, you know, like I'll teach at, uh, at like music camps or at a festival or several. Um, but I'm not, I'm not a touring musician, um, because I'm busy art teaching most of the time. And so I don't, I don't really take that route. Um, but anyone can feel free to get in touch with me through those various things, or you can just like share my email address or they can message me on Facebook or something. And I will happily talk and, you know, tell anybody more than they ever wanted to know about any of these things. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I, I really love talking about all this stuff. Hmm. Thanks for all the work you're doing. Um, especially youth traditional song weekend. I've heard such amazing things from Jake Blunt, from Alex Sturbaum, from Ian. It seems like it's like a very transformative thing. Um, yeah. I, uh, I, I hope I get to check it out someday. Um, yeah, please come. Yeah. yeah, I think I think that's one of the um I think you know, I mean, perhaps I am biased because I am involved, but I really do think we're doing some great work mm-hmm. um on a lot of the things that we talked about especially on anti-racism. We have a pretty um active and robust uh you know, anti-racism um mission and and are implementing that in a variety of ways at the weekend itself and in, you know, how we're doing our programming and thinking as a committee. Um and I think that, you know, I I hope that that kind of that that kind of work uh, is helpful to other organizers too, mm. as well as you know to our attendees and our mu- like music community at large. Mm. Well, uh, thank you so much for taking a little time out of your day to do this, and yeah, it was it was lovely, great songs, great conversation. Thank you, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. Um, even in this like, uh, I like we don't really know each other. I'm gonna like roll the dice on this. Yes human that someone recommended on Facebook, right? <laughs> um, so thanks. Thank you for taking Craig's word on it. I mean, Craig is very wise. Yes, um, I will. But, uh, I will have anyone on who Craig recommends. So <laughs> yeah, he's he's full of good ideas. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what do we what do you want to yeah, sing for the last song? Um, I'm going to sing like the hopeful song that's been getting me through this time and has gotten me through a bunch of different, like pretty rough times in my life. Um, this is a song that's coming up a lot. Uh, it is, it's by Tom Gala and it's called Witch Hazel. Um, I'll sing the chorus at the beginning so that you can get the hang of it. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is one of the most hopeful songs I know. This is Tom Gala's Witch Hazel. I am looking at a witch hazel Blooming in a garden Bright yellow flowers in the middle of winter time And I tell my heart be strong Like 
the witches will fly away. And you will not be injured by this dark and troubled time. I am looking at a witch hazel blooming in a garden. Bright yellow flowers in the middle of winter time. And I tell my heart be strong. Like the witch hazel flower And you will not be injured by this Dark and troubled time I take myself along To a place I know in winter I look at that south sloping bank All covered with ice and I tell my heart it all will melt and run down to the ocean. And you will not be injured by this dark and troubled time. I am looking at a witch hazel blooming in a garden. Bright yellow flowers in the middle of winter time and I tell my heart be strong like the witch hazel flower and you will not be injured by this dark and troubled time we must say goodbye to the ones we love we must say goodbye to many and we must say goodbye in way too short a time. So I tell my heart be strong like the witch hazel flower. And you will not be injured by this dark and troubled time. I am looking at a witch hazel blooming in a garden. Bright yellow flowers in the middle of winter time. And I tell my heart be strong like the witch hazel flower. And you will not be injured by this dark and troubled time. And I tell my heart be strong like the witch hazel flower. And you will not be injured by this dark and troubled time. No, you will not be injured by this dark and troubled time. Visit Nicole's website at nicolesinger.com and buy her album Long Hot Summer Days on Bandcamp. You can also visit the Youth Traditional Song Weekend website at youthtradsong.org. You can support Get Up In The Cool at patreon.com slash getupinthecool.com 
Order a t-shirt, bag, sticker, or phone case at Get Up In The Cool's Teespring store. Make sure to like and follow Get Up In The Cool on Facebook so you can see the video I posted from this episode and share it with everyone you know. Visit pitchforkbanjo.com for my instructional banjo series. Check out my other podcast, Think Outside The Box Set. It's available in all the same places as Get Up In The Cool. And everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to get up in the cool. 